0: Real quickly, if you would please go to Psalm 127, we're talking a little bit about life can be a dream. As you go closer to Christ, you'll find that things will be better, but it also comes with a responsibility, and that is getting the gospel to others. That song is talking about going to heaven. I'll know I'm home when everything is just the way it's supposed to be. Right now in this life, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, When you go and you listen to a newscast or you see the world through your eyes, you can say, this world is messed up. It has got some real issues. I mean, the Bears can't even beat the Packers. It's awful, you know. Uh, it's awful just going on here. I'm just proud Brother Abdel showed up in church tonight. I know he was up and When he saw halftime was going south, he decided to come, and I was so glad he came, and it's wonderful. This world's got all kinds of issues and all kinds of problems, and uh, it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. It needs people that uh, care about the things of God. Psalm 126 is a beautiful psalm. It begins in verse number one. Let's look at it if we can, please. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. And of course, this psalm probably was written by Ezra. They assume it could have been a psalm of David, but Ezra probably is the author of this psalm. And he says, you know, whenever God told us that we could leave. Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. We thought we were dreaming. It was wonderful to be able to know that we can get back to the house of our God. We can get back to the place. And we thought we were dreaming. And you know, the truth matters. I I love this about God that he says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. They're good and not evil. And to bring you to an expected end, Satan Society and our own selfish reasoning sometimes make us think bad thoughts about God when something bad happens to us. I was speaking to some friends recently. You, I said, You don't have a reason to be angry. Why are you angry? Because your rights are violated? We don't have a reason to complain. Of all people, we have so many blessings. But we'll take a we'll take of all the things God has done for us, we'll complain about a couple things that get done against us. Most of us on, on the the our our worst day of life would be someone else's dream. We have eternal life, we have Christ, we have peace, and then we have a lot of complaining to do. I'm not happy. I want this to happen. I want this to happen. I want that to happen. We got nothing to complain about. Ezra said, you know what, it's like. Returning back to Jerusalem is like a dream. Thank you for that dream. He's telling a little bit of a story or a little bit of a narrative. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse number two. Then was our mouth filled with what? Boy, after he heard these get to go home, and our tongue with singing. Then said he among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. So verse one is about a story. We get to go home, and it's like a dream to us. Verse number two is about a song, and the song was that he, the Lord, had done great things for them. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, I think about that. Uh, hold your place there and turn to Psalm 40, would you? Psalm 40, just real quickly, and just a great reminder, the power of a song, the power of a spring in your step and a song in your heart. Psalm 40, would you turn there if you would, please? Thank you for being here on a Sunday night. I'm so proud and so thankful for the the faithfulness of God's people. And thank you for being in your place here. Look, if you would please, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. How many says, that's my testimony and I'll stick by it? Aren't you glad that Jesus took us out of a mess and gave us himself? Verse number 3, read it out loud with me. And he hath put a even praise into our God, Many shall, and fear and trust. And you know, it's interesting, he didn't say, Many shall hear it. He hath put a new what? Song in my mouth, even praise to my God. Many shall see it. You know, usually you can tell what kind of song a person likes by the way they, they dress, by the way they conduct themselves. You can oftentimes tell a punk rocker because they're drunk like a, they're, they dress like a punk rocker. <laughs> you can say, you can see people who dress who listen to gothic music because they're gothic in their dress. Oftentimes you can see people who are all caught up in, in the country western music. And dear friend, let me just tell you that's as much garbage as you can find. When you say, "Well, rock music promotes drugs and, and immorality," what do you think? What do you think country western music promotes? Maybe not drugs, but alcohol flows all the way through that thing. Cheating, immorality is all through that situation. But, you know, you can usually tell somebody who gets a kick out of that stuff. It affects, and you know what? You can tell somebody who has a new song in their mouth. Somebody who has praise unto their Lord. He said, people who are interested or humble enough to see this, they will see it and they'll be glad. Just a reminder, boy, your songs matter. I oftentimes say this, and I don't know. I may be wrong about it. But I find it's very hard to see people progress spiritually who are not willing to address two matters, money and music. When you want to keep your control of your finances and you want to keep your music, you'll struggle to be the Christian God wants you to be. I remember hearing about a pastor who struggled in his life and ended up just being a train wreck. And here's a guy who, who, would, who would lived holy at one time and pure, but on his phone were all kinds of wrong music that he had on his phone before he wrecked his life and the lives of those around him. And you know, that that is very un, understandable. Music and money are two things I've been doing. But you know the Bible says our song should be the Lord hath done great things for us. Boy, I tell you, I don't want to write a a morbid song about how hard it is to be me. I'd like to write a song if I'm going to write a song about how good it is to be God and how great things he had done for us. Boy, Christians, praise the Lord. I love being around godly people who just really have a spring in their step, a song in their heart. They have a praise in their lips. They're not down the dumps very rarely. I mean, all of us have ups and downs. But um, I love this Ezra's psalm. He says, you know, first of all, man, getting to go home, it's like a dream. And laughter and singing. And we sang songs about the Lord hath done great things for us. Someone says when the fires of gratitude die out in the heart of a Christian, that man is well nigh hopeless. I imagine it would be for girls too. People who can't find a reason to praise are really uh, wasting their breath, and they're, they're not helpful. They sap the energy out of institutions, their home, their marriages, their moms, their dads, their children, their church, their workplace, people who send around and complain about things. They don't like what this happened, don't like that. And look, man, we, we live in a fallen world, and we, we live in uh, every institution I just mentioned is a fallen institution because we have sinners in them. But boy, you got a lot of things to be thankful for. Here we see a story, we see a song. Verse number three, would you look at that real quickly? The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Now here's the prayer, a supplication. Verse number four, turn again our captivity, O God, O Lord, as the streams in the south. This is when a time was where there had lots of rain and the the streams are just full of water coming in to a reservoir. He said, do it like that. Do it, do answer our prayer in a very obvious way. Now, verse number five, read it with me. These are very familiar pastor scriptures. One of the favorite passages to a guy named John R. Rice, who many years ago, I think he died in 1980. So most of you would not even know who he was and, and you weren't even thought of in 1980. But for those of us who are familiar with him, he and our, and one of our, our, our one of our more famous and Pastors, Brother Jack Hiles and him, were real partners in the Sword of the Lord conferences years ago. And the Lord gave Brother uh, Rice a real passion for the Spirit-filled life and for soul winning. And these were some of his favorite verses. And I can hear him as I heard him as a fourth grader sitting on a little folding chair in the middle aisle there, sitting right beside him while Brother Hiles preached. And then he got up and preached. And, and, um, and I sat on a folding chair and I heard him talk about tears. And I heard him talk about this passage of Scripture. And it reminded me, I think after this service, our pastor decided let's do some soul winning training at our church based upon the Story of the Lord Conference. And we, I learned the soul winning plan uh, together with our church family and took my little Gideon New Testament and highlighted how to lead someone to Christ just as a 10, 11-year-old child I'm so grateful for the ministry of Brother uh, Brother Rice. But here's one of his favorite verses. Let's look at verse 5. Let's read out loud together. And they that sow, he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I want you to notice a couple things here. They that sow. This has to do with the toil of working with people. You know, winning people to Christ and soul winning churches Oftentimes, they don't do it anymore. Their folks get rid of the soul winning ministry and people are not encouraged to go soul winning. And those of us who are encouraged to go soul winning, many times we don't do it. And one of the reasons why it's difficult, it's work. W-O-R-K. It's four letters, but it's not a bad word. It is work to win the lost. Those that soul in tears. You're going to be working a bus route? It's work. You're going to build a Sunday school class? It's work. You're going to follow up with your absentees? It's work. You're going to be in the choir, the orchestra? It's work. It's the reason why many people sit out here that could be in the choir. That means another hour of my week, I'm not willing to be a part of it. Watching the nursery is work. Being a security guard is work. Working in the, uh, in the uh, parking buses or helping folks in the logistical things or the bus office or the medical office or ushers having to come early and go to the suit closet and take their jackets off and put their suits on and, and stand at the doors and help folks come in here and take up the armor. It's work. Everything in the ministry. The Bible tells us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse number 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while this day. The night cometh when no man can work. And one of the reasons you are motivated to work is because night is coming for you. Night is coming for those that you love. Listen, if you've got, you got a mom or a dad, love them today. Write them a note You don't know when you're going to have to say goodbye to them and night will come to them. If you've got a brother or sister, reach out to them. You've got an aunt or an uncle, it's time. Night is coming for those that you love. And night is coming for the lost. One of the reasons that that sowing is so important and toil is so important is because it takes a working Christian to work with the Lord in getting people saved. Now, I can't save anyone, you can't save anyone. The Bible's very clear. We're labors together with God. Salvation starts with God. It ends with God. And he's everything in between, the start and the beginning. You have never led you've never won anybody to Christ. All we have done is warn people. And God does the winning. He's the one who brings them to the Lord. My job is to give them the gospel, and I, I don't think it's wrong to say, i one person to Christ. I understand what you're saying. I understand. I hope I, I'll probably say that too. But the truth of the matter is, I can't save anybody. Everyone who gets saved gets saved because God does the work, and we work together with Him. I was talking to someone yesterday. He said, Pastor, I couldn't believe it. I, was, I went to talk to someone, and they began to talk to us, and, and, and they said, oh, I can't believe you're asking. I was just wondering about this. I just, I wanted to know how to get to heaven. Yes, I want to know. Boy, the devil sent someone to aggravate them and to frustrate them during that middle of the thing. Which it's amazing how that, but you know, that story doesn't happen if someone doesn't get out there and talk to folks. He that goeth forth. You, gotta, you can't spell the gospel without go. And many of us were very happy to stay and watch and rejoice with whatever else happens, but we don't want to get a part of it because it is toil. He that goeth forth, he that soweth. And then the Bible tells us another concept, and that's tears. I I was thinking about a little bit of the toil of soul winning and uh, the challenges that come, but really so many factors go into someone coming to know the Lord. And it's not just one factor. I've never, I don't think I'll find this out in heaven uh, future, but I'm pretty sure I can say this with great confidence. I have never been the only factor in the people that I've seen saved. There's always somebody else. That's why when you think about winning someone to Christ or someone getting saved, you can rejoice. When you see someone get baptized uh, this morning or tonight or Wednesday night, we have two folks going to get baptized that recently won to Christ by one of our young men. We're excited about that. But the truth of the matter is, I can rejoice with that because to some extent, I have a role in what happens. Everyone who's a member of our church, if you pray, you give, you witness, you're a part of the reason that anyone gets saved. But God does a work in people's lives. And I was thinking about a man named Moses and uh, he and his wife, uh, they had three children. My wife was watching them in, in kind of like a little daycare uh, that she had, and she was babysitting them. And I could just tell Moses was rough, and his wife was rough. They were, their speech was rough, their language, their way they handled things were rough. And I began one day talking to him, and I tried to go into the gospel, and boy, he, did, he was not at all interested. Not at all, not even a little bit. He shined me off so, so fast. But I began praying for Moses. I began asking God to help him, that God give me a chance to talk to him. I invited him to church. He came for one of the things that the kids were doing for a for Sunday school class. And thank God for Transformer Kids Club. That'll start. Brother Keith and Brother Abdel uh, brother and Brother Woosley will be working with the kids on this coming Wednesday night, preparing them for that. They'll have a break when they go to camp and then come back and get it started. But the kids came to the Wednesday night. And I talked to a dad today. He said, "My, my kids are so excited. He just got saved a few weeks ago. And he said, My kids are so excited about that Transformer Kids Club. When's it going to start again? We want to know that. I want to come to that situation and how grateful I am. But this the same way with this situation. But I remember days went go by. We kind of warmed up with him a little bit. But one day I just um, I went out and he was putting things in the trunk of his car. I said, Moses. I've been praying for you. This is weeks and months have gone by. I've tried a couple times to witness to him. He wouldn't let me. But finally, I said, Moses, I've been really concerned about you. Would you consider giving me 20 minutes sometime to show you from the Bible how to be saved? At least give it to you. You don't have to agree with it. Just let me show it to you. By the way, there's power in the gospel. There's power in the gospel. And for people to get saved, there's several factors. One, there needs to be a sinner <laughs> for someone to get saved. Number two, there needs to be the scriptures. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There ne- number three, there needs to be the spirit of God to bring conviction. And number four, there needs to be a soul winner. For people to get saved, there needs to be someone who needs to be saved, a sinner. There needs to be someone to show them the Bible. There needs to be someone to convict them of their sin. Now, that's something humanly you cannot do. You can show them the truth, but you cannot bring conviction of sin. That's only, the only person that can do that is the Holy Spirit of God. It's his job, and he'll do it. He won't fail. He'll bring conviction of sin, of righteousness in Jesus, their need for Jesus, and judgment to come. He'll do it. That's his job. And then you need a soul winner, and that's who you want to be. You want to be the soul winner. You want to be the person that's bringing the gospel of Christ and letting the spirit of God work in their heart to a sinner. And we've got to have that. But I remember him, I said, I said, Moses, I share that. And he, I thought he was getting angry. He took the, he took the trunk and he put all the stuff in there and he looked up at me and he slammed the trunk real hard. He sat up on that trunk and he said, John, I think it's about time I heard something beside all the noise out there. Yes, I'll give you 20 minutes. I was like, hallelujah. When? He said, if you want, I'll go right now. He said, well, I don't have time right now, but I said, how about next, how about, uh, how about uh, I think it was the next day. I remember meeting him and sitting on the couch with him. I went through the gospel with Moses, and he began to say how frustrated he was by the fact that his dad never connected with him. And he, he went into, he goes, I got some real anger issues. I've been mad at my dad for my whole life, and I don't even know who he is. And he said, but what you just told me, John, is some of the most beautiful things. You're telling me I can get a heavenly father if I don't know my earthly father. I said, you can. That guy knelt down beside that couch and accepted Jesus as his Savior. It was a wonderful thing, but you know, that didn't happen the first time I met him. I wish I could tell you this. Some, some of the sweetest stories happen because God already prepared someone. I told you one last week when I was giving out the track, and there Felix was reading a track at the very time that uh, someone had already gave him a track, and he was reading the track I was going to tell him about. That was the first time I ever met Felix, and he got saved the first time I met him. But a lot of times, it takes a little toil to win, win someone to Christ, it takes some sowing. And some waiting and some watering and some time. I don't think everybody has to have that because sometimes somebody else has already sowed, someone else has watered, and when you come along, they're ready to be saved. That's the increase that God gives us. But we see sometimes soul winning takes toil, sometimes soul winning takes tears. He that soweth and weepeth in tears. I I don't know, I, I probably am not the person who could give you testimony after testimony of a broken heart for souls in particular. I, do, I can cry sometimes, and I can get very emotional sometimes, but I, I'm not really the best testimony of someone who just cried my way through a situation leading someone to Christ. There are people who do that. And now, by the way, people usually come to Christ one of two ways, because of compassion or because of fear. He said some have compassion. That's what makes a difference in them. Others are saved with fear, with the recognition that hell is approaching them and the Spirit of God begins to bring heavy conviction upon their heart and life. And that's why they come to know the Lord as their Savior. But, you know, compassion is something, even without a tear in your eye, moist tear in your eye, there ought to be a real passion on the inside of you, a burden for people without Christ. I think those are oftentimes fostered. One of the things I love about prayer, I'm not always the prayer I need to be, but I'm telling you two things come out of prayer. Number one, a vision to see people and circumstances God's way and a passion to do things God's way. Vision and passion are birthed out of prayer. One of the things I try to do is pray from around my neighborhood to the 14 houses on my circle. I try to think of their names of the people that live there. And and when I go around my circle, my vehicle, oftentimes I'll name their names out to the Lord. I don't know how my prayers will get them saved, but here's what I do know. My prayers make me sensitive to think, is this when they need to be talked to about the Lord? What is God doing? When I hear something go wrong, I never forget. I prayed for my neighbors for a long time, and unfortunately, I don't think they came to know the Lord as their Savior. But I'll never forget, of all, of all things, I don't know why this happened. Like a knock at the door It was one evening. It was not too far before a church on a Wednesday night. I opened the door and the man said, you know, you have my condolences. I'm so sorry. I said, what happened? He said, no, we're here to pick up the remains of your loved one. I said, to my knowledge, no one died here. Um, he said, oh, man, we had the wrong address. Who are you looking for? And they told me the name of my neighbor on my block. And, you know, had they not done that, I would not have known that, but they said, no, so-and-so passed away, and he told me the name, and I said, oh. We have tried to talk to that person about the Lord. And I remember I said, I wonder if I could go and talk to them. And I, and I followed the, the the person from the funeral home over to the house, and, and I, I saw my neighbor, and I embraced them, and I said, I'm so sorry. They said, well, John, can you come in? I went up there to the bed where my, my neighbor was passed away, was laying. I saw his, his loved ones gather around the, uh, of the bed, and I began to pray. I said, do you mind if I pray? And these folks are not terribly religious people, but I began to pray, and you could hear that God was doing something in their hearts and life. And to my knowledge, none of them have come to know the Lord as a result of that. But I think to myself, the reason that guy mistakenly knocked on my door, two doors down from where he was going, is because of the prayers and the concern. And I believe God opens up doors through prayer and tears and compassion and ministry. So you don't work where you work because you just get a good job there. You work there because there's somebody there that needs your compassion. You don't live in the neighborhood you live in because you just think it's a great place to live. And God just miraculously gave you that house. You live there for the sake of what God's trying to do in that community. Everything we're going through. I heard Linda tell my son this today, this afternoon. She says, you know, it's amazing that God uses so many circumstances. You're getting into into pools of relationship, and there's never doing it just because. She said, even if we were to go to the hospital tonight because someone got sick, there would be a problem with someone sick, but the reason we're going there is not because that person's sick, it's because God wants us to interact and be sensitive to someone else around us. It's a different way of thinking, but toil, tears. But Then he says, in verse number six, he says, he that goeth forth, weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with, what? Rejoicing. Get bringing his sheaves with him. We have a triumph. There are some of the most wonderful things that will ever happen in your life or happen because of soul winners. I see Brother and Mrs. Cowling. They've been soul winning for many, many years. They and Apostle Paul were door, door knocking partners together. They, they've been used of God so preciously. But they've got stories of coffee shops on the University of Tennessee that someone got saved and now they're doing something someplace else. They've got stories of when they were on tour for the college for many summers, winning people to Christ in those communities. They've got stories, and it's not uncommon to see Brother and Mrs. Cowling sitting there with four or five people sometimes beside them. I've led people to Christ that they started the communication with, and I got to follow up and, and build upon the foundation that they laid. And I would say to you, that's one of the things that'll keep you going, because you'll come back rejoicing. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. I want to encourage you to say, God, please help me to put my time in. Help me to toil. Help me to have tears so I can have triumph. I can I can look back and say, God, you used me to reach someone. I, it was all you, but I like to labor together with you in this way. Let's pray together, can we?